This week, I'm going to share my reactions to episodes three and four of Star Trek Discovery, season seven of The Walking Dead, more on the Orville, plus Carolyn Wilcox and I will discuss seasons one through four of The Hundred. Let's do it. Signing up to be my newest patrons on Patreon. I'm so excited. Thank you both so, so very much. It really means the world to me. I've done a little bit of tweaking to my Patreon page. I've updated it to not just reflect the sci-fi project, all my podcasts and sci-fi music, everything sci-fi related that I'm doing, but also my game streaming because that has proven to be by far a more lucrative field to go into (laughs) than podcasting. Holy shit. I actually had someone donate $500 anonymously so that I could buy a Nintendo Switch and start streaming that. It's crazy. I never thought in a million years that two and a half months into game streaming, I would own a Nintendo Switch and be playing Mario Kart Deluxe on the internet. It's fucking awesome. I love it. So I've updated my Patreon to reflect the fact that I'm game streaming now as well, but don't you worry. The sci-fi stuff's not going anywhere. I'm still, you know, very, very dedicated to my, my nerdiness. Since my YouTube page URL is uh, youtube.com slash Sci-Fi, I thought it might be nice to start consolidating all my different websites and see if I could change my URL to match what I have on YouTube. So I was able to do that with Patreon and Facebook. So now you can go to those respective websites slash Sci-Fi and find me there. It just makes it a little bit easier to talk about in the future instead of having, you know, my Patreon be Patreon slash sci-fi project. And also now that I'm doing the game streaming stuff on on Patreon, it it seemed a little more appropriate to just change it to what my YouTube page is. So that has happened. I'm excited about that. I am releasing a brand new premium podcast this week featuring some bonus content cut from this episode with myself and Carolyn Wilcox. It's called Wacky Apocalypse. (laughs) Carolyn and I were discussing different apocalyptic varieties of fiction since she's doing her amazing blog, You, Me, and the Post-Apocalypse, a canticle for end times. And we got to talking about Wacky Apocalypse right at the end of this recording, so I chopped that bit out to make a premium podcast. You can find that at my new Patreon URL, patreon.com slash Sci-Fi. If you want to support the show, but you don't have the financial resources to do so, do not worry. There's something very important that you can do for me that I'd really appreciate, which is going to my iTunes listing and leaving a positive rating and review. That's one of the most helpful things you can do as a listener to this podcast to help me grow my audience. I would really, really, really appreciate that. There's a link in the show notes if you need a quick way to find it. So let's talk a little bit more about Star Trek Discovery. Last last episode, I, I did a whole episode about the first two episodes of Discovery, and I was so enthusiastically excited. I was a little disappointed in episodes three and four. The, the biggest issue I'm having is that I don't care about the Discovery or its crew anywhere near as much as I cared about the Shenzhou and its crew. I loved Captain Giorgio. I was like 100% on board with her as my new captain. I was so fucking stoked 
looked for it. And then, of course, like, spoiler alert, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Of course, she dies in episode two of that show. And then in episode three, we meet the new captain, Captain Lorca, played by Jason Isaacs. I love Jason Isaacs. I think he's a fantastic actor, but I'm not wild about Captain Lorca as a character. He does not feel very Star Trek at all. He's a warmonger. He's obsessed with war. He's mad at his science crew because they're not warlike enough. And I get it that they're in a time of war, but I mean, it it doesn't feel like Star Trek. Uh, I'm also disappointed that we had a female captain, female first officer in the first two episodes. Uh, we were we were living in a world run by powerful women, and it was great, and I loved it. And then all of a sudden, we have a male captain, and he's like the ultimate mansplainer. It's his way or the highway. It's, you know, everyone else is wrong except for him who knows what to do. And I just, I'm not wild about that. It's bothering me. I'm I'm absolutely sticking, sticking with the show, and I do hope that these things are kind of developed and worked out in a way that feels more in line with Gene Roddenberry's original vision. So that remains to be seen. I'm not super wild about the whole spore drive thing i feel like the i mean man the science is thin of what they're trying to describe as far as having a whole galaxy of of this web of spores that are interconnected that you can tap into through the mind of this other creature and bounce from one place to another i mean i'll put i'll put up i'll put up with a lot in my star trek you guys i mean besides beverly fucking a ghost i'll put up with a lot and maybe tom paris turning into a newt i'll put up with a lot except for some things but the spore drive seems on the dumber side to me i mean maybe i just don't know enough about science maybe that's actually rooted in some sort of real science that i don't understand but i'm just not i'm not buying it i'm not buying it there's tons that i like about the show a lot of the visual aesthetic is really really pleasing i I'm excited about that doctor character that they showed in episode four. I love that actor. I've seen him in other things, including uh, My So-Called Life. When, when I was really young, I barely remember that show, but I remember loving it. I remember loving that guy in it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited about that. I'm, But, man, I my enthusiasm has dwindled significantly. <laughs> I think I think the biggest loss that I'm feeling is that in episodes one and two, I wanted to be part of that crew and on that ship. And as soon as we got to Discovery, I didn't. You know, I just didn't. And what I love about Star Trek is that I always feel like I want to be there. You know, every single Star Trek, I felt like I wanted to be part of that crew, even Voyager sometimes. Uh, but But this time, I mean, this crew, Discovery, not so much. I really hope that that changes. Uh, I really, I, I have high hopes still. I still feel like the show has a lot of potential, but I'm getting more and more bothered by their seeming disregard for continuity, especially visual continuity with the rest of the series. I read some article about how the the Starfleet uniforms that you see in the original series, which happens 10 years after Discovery, are actually currently in use in Starfleet. It's just we haven't seen them. Uh, some sort of thing that came from the production crew staff or whatever saying that you know sometimes starfleet has more than one type of uniform at once i mean if that's the case you got to fucking show us someone in the original series uniform it just doesn't make sense um there's a lot that doesn't make sense that doesn't fly with continuity and it's it's making my brain go a little cross-eyed and as a as an uber nerd it's it's getting more and more frustrating I just wish, I'm doubling down on my wish that they had set this in the future of the continuity. It would have 
fixed everything. It would have fixed out all of my problems if they'd set this in the future of Starfleet. Like maybe post-Dominion War, uh, Captain Lorca was, you know, bred in Starfleet during a time of war and then the war ends and he doesn't know what to do with himself because he like really loves war and wants to be a part of one somehow. And then a new war comes up and he's kind of going over the deep end uh, with his love of that. That would have made more sense. The only thing you'd have to lose if you set this in the future is the connection between Michael Burns and Sarek and of course Spock and Amanda Grayson which has they've cast someone to play Amanda Grayson so we will see that character on the show which is Spock's mother but I could have done without that because it it feels like retconning so I I just can't help but think every time I watch the show it seems more technologically advanced they're working on this new spore drive that we've never heard anything about or or whatever in the future of this timeline why set it in the past why why I don't know I don't know. I'm getting frustrated, but I still like it. I'm still watching it. The Orville, on the other hand, has been a very pleasant surprise to me. It's still extremely inconsistent, but uh, when it hits, it hits hard and it it's wonderful. So episode three was the the only of the five that I've seen so far that I felt like was a great hour of TV really great. They tackled a social issue. They had something unique and interesting to say about it. They didn't pull any punches. They didn't back away from anything that was uncomfortable socially. And they found a way to end that episode and, and you know, with a, with a great ending that was kind of unsatisfying, but felt right. This is the episode where uh, the, the crew member Bordis from an all-male species has a female daughter and wants to uh, perform a sex change to, to make sure that his daughter is a male and then changes his mind. And oh my God, it's, it's really great. And it, it, like being from a culture that's all men, uh, the idea that being born a woman was like a birth defect. Uh, I felt like, it's a crazy concept as a story, but they, they really did justice to it. They really examined it and opened it up and, and looked at it, and I loved it. I, I was really, really happy with that episode. Episode four was was good. Uh, it's the one where they found this ship adrift that's about to crash into a star. I really like that episode a lot, actually. But I, it, it, you know, very reminiscent of a bunch of other Star Trek plots, and that's fine with me. I mean, they're just kind of recycling Star Trek stuff in a new way, with uh, a little dumber and sillier. And I'm I'm on board with that. But I did I did struggle a little bit with episode five, the one starring Charlize Theron called Priya. Uh, I really liked most of it, but towards the end, it just kind of started to fall apart as a, as a sci-fi story. It, and th- that one, it felt like they used a bunch of Star Trek plots, but try, but didn't understand the purpose of those plots or the point of them, and then kind of made something that felt purposeless at the end. So wasn't super wild about that one. And then there was some violent humor in it that I didn't really care for. Uh, just like I was talking about a couple episodes back where I was talking about how like Seth MacFarlane tends to write in violent humor that bothers me. There was this whole plot about practical jokes where one character cut off another character's leg as a practical joke. And of course they fixed it with technology, but I, I don't like that kind of stuff. Really didn't like that. But I'm still super on board. The Orville feels so much more like Star Trek than Discovery does. And it's such a weird thing to be watching these two shows uh, simultaneously as they're both airing for the first time, getting to know both of these crews and feeling so much more like I'd want to serve on the Orville than on Discovery, uh, even though it's a much dumber show. So uh, my hat's off to Seth MacFarlane. I think I think you're on to something. And I am really excited to see what you do with the Orville in the future. Star Trek Discovery, you better shape up. You better shape up. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> 
I just watched through season seven of The Walking Dead. Uh, Carolyn was on the show a few episodes back and we talked about how I was undecided as to whether or not I wanted to continue with The Walking Dead. And this this keeps happening to, happening to me at every season. I'm like, well, is this show worthwhile? I can't, I can't tell. Uh, but then I miss it and then it comes out on Netflix and then I watch it and that happened again. Um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, there's something about the day-to-day life of the show of The Walking Dead that's just interesting. You know, just living in that world is interesting. I really loved Ezekiel. Like, what an amazing performance. Uh, what an amazing character. Great idea. I, I loved Ezekiel. I was super on board with that. And the whole kingdom uh, subplot I really liked. Um, I'm not I'm not crazy about Negan or the Saviors. It just it's just frustrating to me. It's just like a story that's spinning its wheels because you know where it's going. It's like, yeah, they're all going to get mad enough to finally decide to try to attack the saviors. And um, so spoiler alert for season seven, I was so frustrated they didn't wrap up that storyline at the end. And it looks like season eight is going to be about the war with the saviors. I was convinced that season seven was building up to the war with the saviors and then it would be over, but it's not. And now we have to deal with more of Negan and I'm sick of it. You know, I I can't believe any of that storyline. He's so hated by so many people and so many people want him dead. It just seems crazy to me that he's still alive I, I it's crazy and i understand that he's like ruling through fear and p- if people are afraid enough they won't try something crazy but i mean i'm just not buying it but i still really enjoy the show i really like a lot of the characters i think that uh the presentation of the show is very artfully done so often like beautiful cinematography and uh interesting choices with you know how the show is edited and how things are you know, kind of laid out for you as far as the story is developing. So I'm still into it. Overall, I really enjoyed season seven, even though it frustrated the fuck out of me. I'm definitely still on board and excited to watch more. I think that's it. I think that's what I've been watching recently besides, you know, countless hours of people playing Mario Maker. <laughs> so let's jump into our conversation with Carolyn Wilcox. This this one takes a little bit of setup. Uh, so Carolyn came over uh, at least a month ago to talk about The Hundred, which is an amazing show on the CW that she had recommended to me last time she was on the show, which I then binged and loved. So she came by to chat about it. We talked for three hours, but if you remember, I've been having some weird computer problems recently where I lost some recordings and I lost two-thirds of this podcast recording. I only had the first hour of it. I lost two hours. It was very, very frustrating. So I was so upset by that, I didn't even go back and listen to this podcast for a little while. I finally convinced myself to go back and check it out and ended up really enjoying the hour that I had. And it really felt like it was worth releasing. So I went ahead and edited it and it's ready for you to go today. So the first hour was us just kind of summarizing what happened in the first four seasons and discussing what we felt about the characters and their interactions and the plot. Uh, So there's plenty here to listen to. The second two hours, we got way off topic and talked about random shit for two hours. So it it really did kind of split itself up nicely. Obviously, spoiler alert, we we spoil the first four seasons of The Hundred. So if you haven't seen it and you hate spoilers, now is your time to bail on this week's episode. But if you've seen the show and you love the show, you know it's awesome. Uh, This is a really fun conversation about the show. So here's Carolyn and myself talking about The Hundred.
Carolyn Wilcox, welcome back to Sci-Fi with Jesse Mercury. Thank you, thank you. Very excited to have you here. Yay! Talk about the 100. Yes. So last time you were here, we you gave me this like laundry list of post-apocalyptic shows I needed to watch. <laughs> yes. And the first one that I jumped into was The 100, and I very quickly got obsessed. I watched the whole show so far, which is four seasons in a matter of weeks. Um, I fucking loved it, and I've been like <laughs> dying to talk to you about it. Yay! So you, how did you come by this show? Um, it was just, uh, like, I'm kind of a sucker for most of the things. Well, I won't say most anymore, but a lot of the things on the CW. Uh-huh. Um, like what, Vampire Diaries and... I, I started watching that. I mean, it's just generally, like, the CW is can sometimes be like sci-fi too. They have so many <laughs> shows that are like speculative fiction-y. Right. So, you know, and they all usually have like the, you know, young kids in science fiction. Young but hot it's like, kids. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, but uh, they have the, you know, the interesting, innovative sci-fi programming usually. Huh. So. What other shows do you watch on there? Oh my goodness. Well, you know. There's been a trajectory, actually, since it was the the WB. <laughs> right. And Supernatural's um, on that channel, right? Super, Supernatural is actually, oh my God, I'm going to show my television geek who's going to come out. But Supernatural actually is the only show on the CW that started on the WB. Wow, because yeah. it's been on that long. It's been on that long. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. And Smallville was on... WB Smallville wasn't it? was on the WB, which I was Buffy really into. the Vampire Slayer That's started right. on the WB. Oh, it started there, yes. and then it switched to where? It went where? to the UPN after the right. fifth season after Buffy died, which is where Voyager and Enterprise. Were. Yes, yeah. yeah. Back in the day so. when I watched TV on cable <laughs> instead of on yes. Netflix. Um, so okay, so this just kind of came in. You're just kind of in this sort of world it's, of shows. Yeah, I, and, like I've I've watched you know when it was the C, when it was the WB. Like I watched a lot of shows on the WB, um, yeah. and then I sort of migrated over <laughs> to yeah. the CW. So then this um, show started uh, the hundred started about four years ago. It did, and it was it was one of those things that like I saw the the teaser for it and kind of thought like oh you know it's, well it sort of sounds like Lord of the Flies meets Battlestar Galactica, but. Whatever, I'll give it a chance. It sounds yeah, like it's I mean, sort of interesting. That's so. a great description. That would yeah. sell me. Uh, yeah, totally. And you just told me before we started recording, you've been watching this since it came out. Yes, uh, since day one airing. on the network, week yeah. by week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is sometimes like, uh. um, <laughs> it's It's one of those shows that is very Lostian in its sort of cliffhanger nature. Where like every week it's like, oh my God, you have to come back because this crazy <laughs> thing's about to happen. Uh, yeah. Which I am a sucker for. Like, yeah. I I loved it in Lost, and I love it in The 100. The <laughs> Lost feels... I'm sorry, The Lost. The 100 feels to me like a, a like a combination of Lord of the Flies, Battlestar, and Lost. There's, um, there's a little bit of an element of Lost. And maybe the Terminator franchise. Yes. <laughs> Especially Terminator. when you get into, into season three. Um, well, let's talk about the basic premise of the show. So, The 100 refers to 100 teenagers that were basically locked up uh, in this society that is living in the international space well the future of the international space station when all these different space stations have kind of combined together because there's been a post like nuclear war situation on earth and earth is not safe to go down to so as far as we know at the beginning of the show all of humanity lives on what's called the ark which is this uh space station in the sky <laughs> um you're i'm laughing because you're making very excited faces which i'd like to point out <laughs> Uh, so season one revolves around sending the hundred down to Earth to see if the Earth is now 
they they call it survivable because uh, of nuclear fallout. They just you know they expect that the Earth is not survivable, but maybe it is. And then and and part of it is that the arc is starting to fail. Like it's, exactly, yeah, they're running so, out of oxygen. They're like, okay, this is, and so oh, and one thing that's really important too is that if some if you're over age, if you're an adult and you commit a crime, you right. get floated. Yeah, which means you get like sent out an airlock and killed. Yeah. Yeah. So the the only people who can, can commit crimes and be put in jail are underage people, and there's uh like almost exactly a hundred of them, hence the name <laughs> the hundred, that get sent down to Earth in the very first episode, and they don't even know they're being sent down, and they're kind of like canaries in a coal mine, uh, because we as we get to know the adult civilization on the Ark, they are just brutally ruthless with survival and it's something that is really interesting about the show because it's kind of required in order to survive they have to be brutally ruthless and then uh, we're just going to spoil the fuck out of this show so spoiler warning right now um yes (laughs) if that sounds really cool to you maybe go watch and listen to this in a couple weeks when you're done (laughs) uh season one basically the kids come down discover that the earth is indeed survivable uh and that there are people who have survived on earth uh called grounders ever since the (laughs) nuclear war that destroyed the planet uh so season one kind of revolves around the fight between grounders and sky people uh which is what the grounders call the people from space um along the way we get to know one of the grounders named lincoln who ends up being i know he's wonderful who ends (laughs) up being this like really great guy uh one of the main characters falls in love with him and um and then by the end of the season we discover that the ark cannot survive any longer so they decide to crash land themselves to earth so they come down at the end of season one so what did what did you think about season one in general uh Gosh, it was so long ago. I mean, I was hooked. So like, I, yeah. I think season, season one almost felt like, you know, when I think of the trajectory of the rest of the series, it felt like, oh, it was such an innocent time. I know. It's like, you know, when of- you, when you saw the, the kids first come out of the, or of the, the little drop ship right. out into nature, which <laughs> they were seeing for the very first time ever right. in their lives, um, you know, that was sort of a sweet, you know, and they were all like super excited. And like this, this one character, the one who falls in love with Lincoln, the grounder, yeah. she actually had never even really been out of her own cell because right. she was being kept a secret because people, I can't remember the exact law of the arc, but you weren't allowed to have more than one child, I, I think, believe. I think that's the law. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the one. And um, Octavia and... uh Oh my God, Bellamy, Bellamy, our brother and sister. (laughs) Yes. So Bellamy like lives in the ark among the society and then Octavia is hidden under the floor so that she doesn't have to be killed. And their mother ended up being floated when they discovered Octavia. Totally. And Octavia, through no fault of her own, was a juvenile delinquent because she was, you know, it's like their crimes were all kind of, well, not all, because some of them were actually delinquents like right. uh, what's his face why am i forgetting his name john murphy yes murphy yeah. murphy <laughs> yeah <laughs> fantastic character totally brilliantly like, well written and great you know but like that kid so well acted act yeah him, totally probably has a great time but yeah like, i hate him yeah and season one <laughs> just revolves around the confrontation between the hundred and the grounders like the season finale is them fighting it out and the the hundred led by um Clark. Clark. Uh, played by... Let's Eliza see, Taylor. Eliza Taylor, yeah. So Clark is a fascinating character. She kind of falls into this leadership role in season one just because she's the most equipped to lead. 
And I think the the show really goes deep into what it means to be a leader and who is prepared to be a leader and what leaders have to do in order to survive. And your first sense of it uh, is, you know, the adults on the arc being so brutally ruthless with like floating everyone. People are floating their own family members because they've broken laws in order to not be floated themselves. And it's, it's and really rough. Like sort of an important plot point is that uh, Clark's mom, who's also one of the main characters right. who's up on the arc. Abby. Abby, that's yeah. right. Um, she actually outed her husband. I can't right. remember. Do you, what, do you remember what crime he committed? It was a while ago for oh, me. Oh, man. It's all blended together. I watched it but so it, fast. But it was something that wasn't like... Again, it's he did the right thing, but it was yes. a crime. Yeah. Oh, he he released information about the oxygen depletion. That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, because he the the they leading council they were trying to keep it secret. Yeah, and he released they it. Just well, lie to everyone constantly. So the leading council is made up of several different people, but the three constants are Abby, which is Clark's mom, um, Marcus, played by what's his name. Ian, Ian Henry, Ian Henry Cusick, Ian Cusick who, from, uh, who played Desmond in Lost. Such a great character, too. Like, he's a great character. His a, arc was is has yeah. been kind of amazing. His American accent is okay. <laughs> <laughs> he like breaks out of his accent a lot, and I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> okay. Why couldn't you just speak in your normal voice? Here it is. We know they've landed, but communications down, which means we're still blind to conditions on the ground. Thanks to Abby's wristbands, at least we know how those conditions affect the human body which is more than we've had for 100 years. So, nice work. But he's a really interesting character. And then uh, what uh, Isaiah Washington. <sighs> Jaha. Jaha, yeah. <laughs> uh, Another one that you kind of like, oh my God. Yeah. He's, he's a frustrating character. He is frustrating. Sure. And they so they keep reinventing Jaha throughout the course of the series. But in season one, He's kind of like just a good leader, you know. Mm -hmm. He's in season one. He's a he's a really he's good character. He's the good guy, yeah, totally. And Marcus is kind of the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, Marcus is the one who's just this hard line. You know, we got to kill everyone who breaks laws. And Abby's somewhere in between, where Abby recognizes the 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 importance of being human, but is still willing to make compromises yeah. to her humanity to stay alive. She yeah, she's pragmatic. Yeah, totally. At least, and it's interesting because um, Jaha, who's in charge in season one. Seems seems to be so pained by all of the horrible things he has to do, including sending yeah. the hundred down to the planet. Well, and because and his son is his one of son them. is one of one of them. Yeah, Wells. And Abby obviously is sending right. well, sending her daughter Clark. her daughter Clark down yeah. there. And I can't remember what Clark's crime was either. I think it had something to do with her dad. Yeah, well, I don't remember um, either now. There's so many there's so many great details, and they mm -hmm. all the good thing the thing I love about this show one of many things I love about this show is that all the details matter that yeah. all of the things that have happened in the past to these characters dictate their actions in the future yeah and unlike a lot of different shows that hold this level of frenetic action all the time the characters feel pretty consistent and they mm -hmm. seem to grow pretty consistently I think for me in season one Marcus was the only one who seemed inconsistent where he was so sort of brutal and then in season two he kind of became more of a good guy i yeah. feel like they did it they did it slow enough that it kind of worked for me by yeah. the time you get to season four marcus is one of the one of the well, best if, if characters you think about some of the things that happened to him in season one though because yeah. there was that moment where they the you culling. know the people the culling yes yeah. so weird because we just i just did a sh a post-apocalyptic 
play where we had like our society had a culling. So it's like, oh, ah, interesting. For you to call it that. Yeah. Like, oh my god. So after yeah. they, in, in the middle of season one, the adults left. Well, everyone left on the ark. Uh, they're running out of oxygen, so they basically have to kill off a, a large portion of their population in order for the rest of the population to have enough time to survive because they've lost contact with the people well, on the ground. Wasn't it like his mom? Wasn't his mom one of the? I just remember there being something with Marcus's mom. Yeah. And I'm thinking she was one of the people that ended up having to be culled. I think you're right. Yeah. So he kind of went through a trauma with his mom that seemed to kind of reawaken his humanity. And I think he was, he was also, God, I hope I'm not confusing him with Baltar too. (laughs) Gaius Baltar. Yeah. yeah. Because he seemed a little Baltar. Very, very similar. A little bit. They have a similar look. That too. Yeah. That too. Um, but I, I never disliked Marcus nearly as much as I disliked Baltar. Yeah. But there was something about him kind of coming from, uh, you know, he he maybe didn't come from the greatest family or something. Was, was his there mom, something about that? His mom was very religious and he wasn't. That's what it and was. His okay. mom wanted him to like worship this tree. They have this little bonsai tree yeah, that's, that's like this. Oh my uh, God, I really forgot about that. <laughs> this like r- relic of earth that they kind of worship yeah. because it, it represents like nature being one life. with nature in a way that they can't on the ark. Cause they've all grown up in space. Cause right. they, I think the, the nuclear war was what a hundred years ago. It, no, the, the nuclear war I think happened somewhere in like, yeah, it was a hundred years ago for them. And it happens, I guess in like, 2050 or something i believe so, yeah in our near the, future yeah uh in our near future and then like the society just this is, is all left. descendants of the people who were on board the space stations when exactly. the nuclear war happened basically. which is so funny because like the beginning of valerian which wasn't a very good movie showed <laughs> all the different uh space stations coming together and forming the city of a thousand planets which is exactly like how the arc was formed on the hundred mm-hmm. which is oh, really wow. interesting that yeah. is interesting um, so then, meanwhile, we have this crazy shit happening down on the planet, which is very Lord of the Flies. Uh, it's like as soon as they get down to the planet, the kids all decide that they just want to fucking kill each other, you know? Pretty, well, you know, and then you have, you basically have two leaders who sort of emerge out right. of like these, you know, ah, we're kids, we're on the ground. Ah. <laughs> yeah. And so one of them is Clark, who's sort of basically at this point the good guy quote unquote right. and the voice of reason and the pragmatic one but not so pragmatic that she's into doing the wrong thing yet. for the right reason yet, yet. yes yes <laughs> she'll get there yeah, that is my god that is the operative word is yet yeah. and then you have bellamy right who and he actually was not one of the 100 right he went he stowed away on the 100 ship because he was worried about Octavia, his sister, right. who through no fault of her own, just by existing, was delinquent. <laughs> yeah. And he actually tried to kill uh, Jaha, who was, what do they call their, it's Commander, right? I no. think so. No, yeah. Commander's the, the ground, what the grounders call their leader. What do they call? Uh, Chancellor. <sighs> Chancellor. Chancellor Jaha. That's right. Yeah. Chancellor so Jaha. Bellamy was a guard on the Ark. He tries to assassinate uh, Jaha because... He, I think, if I remember correctly, it was because someone was going to help him smuggle onto the Ark. And, yes. or, I mean, smuggle onto the dropship. And the only way that they'd help him is if he killed Jaha. Because yeah. there was this whole other plot going on on the Ark for That's like a power play. Right. And he was, and wasn't he, like, Jaha was out of it for a while. Like, I remember yeah, that's him. right. He got shot in the first episode and was out yes. of it for a while. Yes, because yeah. oh, and that's what that's how Marcus kind of insinuated his way in. Yeah, totally. That's right. Yeah. 
There's a lot of good politics. And yes. You, you, so season one, I kind of cared about the politics. I really, I kind of liked the arc in season one, but I was really tuned into what was happening on the ground. Yeah. Well, that was the exciting was so part. much more interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, Clark is so, like a fascinating female character. She's very strong. She's very smart. And she... She's someone that people want to follow because she seems to know the right thing to do. Yeah, she's also really compassionate. Mm-hmm. Like she and I'm, by she the way, was raised well. By the time I get to season four, I'm fucking sick of Clark. <laughs> like, holy <laughs> shit! Uh, but in season one, I'm like really into her, and Bellamy is just like the the antithesis of that. He's like the absolute. Uh, like toxic man, like toxic masculinity. Just like if you if you step up to me, I'm gonna fucking put you down, and like I'm gonna have sex with all the hottest women and not care about them. And <laughs> he's just like a despicable character. Uh, which part part of the joy of season one is watching those two leaders have to come together to fight the grounders, and they yeah. they seem like Clark is trying to you know be diplomatic and you know talk to them, but the grounders like present themselves as animals. They really. Like tr- they really do. I yeah. mean, it's it's interesting. Like after having watched four seasons of it, and ha- you know, and watching different factions of grounders, and you know, when we first meet the grounders, like when when our you know it for us, it's like the same as our you know our heroes who have just come down in the dropship. We have the same reaction to the grounders as they seem like. Oh my God! Holy hell! They're really scary. Yeah. That's what I remember feeling anyway. Absolutely oh, like, terrifying. Oh my God! And you didn't know where they were coming from, and oh, they had man. complete command. It was so well done. It was so like, well done. It was like the others on Lost. If, yes. If the others that had is been exactly great, exactly <laughs> how it was. Yeah. Because it's just it was like, oh my God! Like we don't know where this threat is coming from. You know, it and was it's like coming from all sides. Exactly, seemingly. and it would just yeah. be like they'd find things hanging, and like right. there would be a, a creepy trap, and. You know, so there was that that aspect of it, but then there was also like Lincoln, yeah, who they the the, the ground that, that they capture yes. and basically <laughs> torture, uh, and then he kind of develops a rapport with Octavia. Well, he had been watching uh, Octavia beforehand. That's right, he had, I don't yeah. remember, like I think I don't remember if like did she run away or something? She ran away and got hurt, and then he found her and like cared for her. Yeah, and then she that escaped. Right. There was something. There she, was, and yeah, he, she he escaped had, from she, him, and then they started working together, and then they fell in love. Yes, but their their love story uh, really rings true for me. I I really really satisfied my need to have some sort of a love story on the show. Yeah, because they're they're very passionate for each other, but they're both kind of cast out of their own people. Yeah, where Octavia never fit in with the Sky people, and she, she kind of became a grounder by loving him, but the grounders don't accept her. And then because he loves her, the, and because he tried to help the Sky people, the grounders don't accept him anymore, and then they're just this couple kind of out on their own. Yeah. And it was really, like, kind of lovely. You know, I, like, really, I really enjoyed that that arc. Like, if you, th- I mean, really, if you think of, the, like, so many of these characters have had so, such amazing story arcs, like, right. through the four, the four seasons of the show. Like, totally. Octavia's story arc. Oh, my God. She's fascinating to me. So like, by, amazing. By the time you get to season four and she's fighting for the survival of her people and she's, like, the one champion, I'm like, you're a fucking badass. Yeah. Well, you're and then so what she ends cool. up doing at the end of season four. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, totally. Well, let's yeah, let's get there. I want to. I want to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I want to kind of like sketch out a framework of the whole show, and then kind of jump around inside of it and talk about characters and their growth. Okay. Um, so let's talk about season two. Season two is like a. The, so okay, at, at the very end of season one. Yes. Let's wrap that up. Totally. Clark. <laughs> Clark yeah. 
uh, there's basically like this gigantic battle between the grounders and the dropshippers. Right. And uh, gosh, what happens? It's like, I remember there being this huge explosion. They used the, Bellamy, the hydrazine on the dropship yes, to, to trick the grounders into like walking into their camp and then blowing them all up. So they basically use a weapon of mass destruction, which is kind of unknown to the grounders. You right. Know? They're fighting with knives and clubs. And <laughs> right. They're a very like primitive that. culture, but they're very, they're, they're primitive technologically, but they're very spiritually advanced. Yes. And they're very emotionally yeah. advanced. Like, the, but some of their, some in, of what they've done. Respects, yeah, in certain respects, are. totally. Like they're, <laughs> they're also very brutal and animalistic sometimes, but uh, I really, tune, I really like the grounder culture. I think it's really I do interesting. Too. I think the thing that was that is super interesting to me, and I guess you know maybe we can talk about this later, but is the the patois the grounders use? Hmm. Their the la- the language. Yeah. Because they can understand regular English, but then they have this like almost Jamaican patois that they speak among each other. Yeah. Yeah, like that the, is really interesting. There's a line early on about how the warriors are taught English, but they have their but the grounders themselves have their own language. So speaking English is kind of like uh, speaking down a little bit. Yeah, they it's like kind of a a less refined language in their eyes. I think is I, kind of kind of the impression that I got. But a lot of them know how to speak it, which is great for the story. <laughs> yeah, and, and for the ground ship or yeah. drop shippers. Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's this huge explosion that happens and Bellamy and was it it wasn't Jasper cuz Jasper ended up in Mount Weather. Mm-hmm. Was it Bellamy and uh and Monty that were outside? There were a couple of them that were outside and they were worried. Oh, Clark was th- worried was that they were going to die. Finn, wasn't it? Bellamy and Finn? Me- oh, it, yes, Fucking it was Finn. Finn, I forgot oh, about. Finn. Yeah. I, Jasper and Monty, I think, both ended up in Mount Weather. Oh, that's uh, right. Well, let, yeah, we should we should actually introduce Finn. Yeah, that was that was a story. Yeah, so <laughs> Finn is kind of Clark's love interest in season one. He's another of the hundred who's like a very sweet and gentle guy. Um, but then in season two, massacres a village full of people, <laughs> and has to be killed. Like like the grounder justice has to be applied and he has to be killed, but then Clark as a mercy kills him to save him from being killed by the grounders, which would be like death by a thousand cuts or something like that. Yes. <laughs> it's really intense. It's really intense. Like he's someone you really start to like early on. And then in season... He's, and he's also kind of the antithesis of Bellamy. Of Bellamy, totally. He's like a gentle man. Yeah. But then in his like, he's trying to find Clark in season two and goes on a rampage and like kills this whole... Yeah, they're trying to. They they think the grounders have killed all their friends, so yeah. he decides to kill all the grounders, and just like this moment of really intense anger, uh, because at the end of season one, even though the sky people like the the hundred win the fight, they get abducted by the mountain men yeah, right the, at the, the end. <laughs> there's this. There's unbeknownst to. Well, I think the grounders know about the Mount Weather people. Yeah, as I recall, but the the sky uh, dropship kids don't know anything about. The people at Mount Weather. Yeah. Now, the people at Mount Weather, like, and this is where, like, isn't at the very end, at the very end, like the last few moments of season one, we see Mount, we see like 
the bunker in Mount Weather and we see Clark just like waking oh, up right. in yeah. white lo- yeah. and looking at, and she's in this cell and she looks out the window and she's like, what the fuck? And we're all, yeah. what we're the like, fuck? what the fuck? Yeah. We have no <laughs> idea where she is. We saw people come out with like radiation suits and guns and yes, lasers and like take everyone after the battle is won. Uh, and because of that, anyone who wasn't there thinks that the grounders have wiped them out, you know? Yes. Cause they weren't home. Right. <laughs> Um, but yeah, but they've been taking them out weather, which is this bunker where another section of humanity called the mountain men has survived the nuclear apocalypse because they're inside of the radiation fallout shelter. And they are also very brutal in how they survive. Uh, so through the course of the season, we, we come to find out that they're giving themselves blood transfusions from the grounders. They're basically just like stealing grounders and giving themselves transfusions to make sure they can survive in this radiation, uh, environment. And that, oh gosh, I for, this was a thing I totally forgot. When they take some of their blood, like it fucks up the grounders. Like it fucks you up. Like they, they turn them, they, they purposefully turn them into what they called reavers. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, reavers. Because <laughs> the, the reavers are basically like on this sort of mind control drug that's making them monsters. And Lincoln is captured and turned into a reaver for a while. So we kind of get to see, or is it Reaper? Re- I think it was Reaver. I think or are we it's thinking, Reaver and Firefly, we, yes. and I think it's Reaper on the 100. And <laughs> yes. they are, like, exactly the same. It's, like, the same... It's, like, they took the Reavers from Firefly and put them into the 100. And it, I never liked that storyline, and I was glad it didn't last beyond Season 2. Yeah, me too. Um, but, yeah, so the, the arc of Season 2 is basically the... Uh, the Mountain Men are, like, kind of doing atrocious things to, well, to and stay they, alive. Well, they're very much... Uh, Mount Weather is very much this culture that, like, they have a pres, like, an old guy who's a president. Totally. Like, Ian used to call him, like, oh, apocalyptic Ron Paul or something. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) He's a tall Ron Paul. Yes. (laughs) But so they're very much like they have saved all the remnant or many of the remnants of humanity's art and literature Uh and all of that. So all that's socked away down in Mount. Mount Weather, and they're very much sort of like they're probably the closest of all these societies to present day United States. Absolutely. Um, And the other thing is that they they are not immune to the radiation, which is why they have to take the blood from the the grounders. Yeah. In in hopes of making them, I guess, more resistant to the radiation. Yeah, they want to leave Mount Weather. Yes. And then when they discover the sky people have even even higher resistance to radiation because they've been living in space and there's more radiation in space, they decide (laughs) to take their bone marrow and treat themselves so that they can go and live out in the world, but it will kill uh, anyone anyone that they do this treatment to. So if if they're stealing enough bone marrow to kill people to treat themselves but there's enough of them that they kind of have to kill everyone of the hundred to treat themselves and at this point i mean the the sky people have come down and and they're now being referred to as sky crew because uh the grounders the grounders call call them call everybody like sky crew tree crew crew, yeah um as as gata as gata is the ice nation and there's so many great words that are so easy to remember and it just all (laughs) like kind of sits in my brain really nicely uh, so anyway, so season two is basically the battle between the the Sky Crew and the Grounders have to kind of work together to destroy the mountain. Mount men. Weather, yeah. Yeah. So the ground, the politics between the Sky Crew and the Grounders is really intense, and there's some great characters that are kind of uh, intermediaries. I think, um, uh, what's her name? The uh, Maya. 
Oh, Maya. Yeah, Maya was the girl on in Mount Weather that Jasper falls in love with. Ugh. But what's the what's the girl's name that took Octavia under her wing? The warrior oh, woman. Shoot. Indra. Indra. Uh, yes, yeah. thank you. Um so yeah, Indra is the kind of takes Octavia under her wing, teaches her how to be a grounder, and then is in oftentimes serves as an intermediary between the two people. But throughout throughout seasons one through four, tensions between the grounders and the sky people keep being sort of settled and then flared up and settled and flared mm-hmm. up. And then, like, new factions of grounders will come in. Like, yeah, the, their alliance is very tenuous. Absolutely. and <laughs> Like, very tenuous. Like, the and, and season three, this this uh, other human guy takes over, who's kind of like an evil, like, sort of, uh, like, oh, nationalist. Pike, Pike yeah. Uh, Chancellor Pike, who reminded me, in some ways, of Donald Trump. Even though, like, Pike is way more intelligent, I yeah. think. Yeah. But Pike just like w- operates out of fear and wants to kill everyone who's an enemy and kind of is a like rouses up all this hatred of grounders and then Bellamy leads this charge where they kill all these grounders and then Indra wants to kill Bellamy and like this stuff keeps going back and forth. But but in season two, they managed to kind of get their shit together to to deal with the mountain men. And then yeah. Clark has to make a decision to save Ugh, her people or destroy all of the people because Alexa, we need to bring up Alexa, Alexa now. Yeah, um, Alexa is actually like the uh, the the commander, commander of, of, of Tree Crew. Tree Crew. Well, she's the commander of all, a- of all of the. I. Th- she she's the she's from she Tree Crew. Starts yeah she starts yeah. as Tree Crew. But she becomes commander when the first commander dies. The first commander was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and most of the commanders are women of the of the grounders, which is it seems the grounders are. Uh, seem to be like a truly equal society with gender, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Gender and sexuality. Yeah, totally. Which is sort of like, because Clark totally, you know, swings always. Right. We, find, we discover eventually. Yeah. I mean, after um, Finn, we haven't really seen her show any interest in a man. She's no, just been. No, she's but, been only with women since yeah, Finn. Yeah. Which has been great. It's, it's fun yeah. to see this like powerful female character who, who, uh, like also sleeps with women and doesn't really seem to have any time for the nonsense that men are, are, yeah. are doing around her. Well, and it, which is funny. Cause like there are so many like Clark and Bellamy shippers. Right. Yeah. And they do, they do like over the course of four years seem to actually kind of start to love each other, but more, oh, yeah. more as, uh, but I think it's, yeah, companions. definitely platonic. I yeah, mean, not I think that so. I couldn't necessarily maybe see them hook up one. D- like that's, I was kind of wondering if like, Oh, are they get you know, at the end of season four, yeah. are they all going to end up back on the arc together? And yeah, but no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was not to be. Yeah. So Clark decides to kill all the mountain men to save her people, which is this really intense moment. Um, and and it, it's horrible. It's kind of horrible because Alexa actually does something super shitty that forces her hand. In right. That. Right. Um, because Alexa abandons them once well, she gets Alexa, people. Yeah. Alexa ends up like double crossing her and making a deal with Mount Weather so that the grounders, the tree crew can survive. Right. What is this? Your commanders made a deal. What about prisoners from the Ark? They'll all be killed. But you don't care about that, do you? I do care, Clark. But I made this choice for my head and not my heart. The duty to protect my people comes first. But it totally fucks over 
Clark's people. So Clark has to make this decision basically yeah. to let the radiation into Mount Weather. Exactly. Yeah. And, and because all the people, because her people are, are, you know, sort of immune because they've been living with radiation their whole lives. Right. The Mount or at Weather least people, a certain le- level of it. Exactly. Yeah. The Mount Weather people are just killed instantly. And Jasper, who's one of the hundred, who's kind of this like goofy guy that everyone seems to like, falls in love with this girl who's one of the mountain people, um, Maya, and then uh, like Clark basically kills her. And then Jasper yeah. goes down this really dark path for the next season and a half, which is really <laughs> disturbing to watch. Um, it's so sad. Cause he yeah. was such a great care, you know, like, I mean, a great arc, a very, sure, yeah, very well written, you know, if you liked the character, totally. I know? felt like Jasper should have died in the first episode when he got like stabbed in the heart with an arrow. Um, <laughs> well, yes. Like he survives <laughs> he, this he wound definitely, somehow. Definitely, like made it beyond that. Yeah, I think I really liked him because he was he was like I think that nerdy kid who like oh my god like really kind of got to go out and explore and he and Octavia kind of had a little bit bit of a flirtation in season yeah. one or at least he liked her. He liked I her. I don't know if she was ever into him. I don't but. think so. And he's got uh-huh. his best friend is Monty and yeah. I love their friendship. Me too. They're they're like the you know they're like uh, Tom Paris and, and Harry Kim on Voyager. You know like they're just <laughs> yeah. set up as being friends right away and it's a very cute friendship and they they really seem to have each other's backs but then it's so hard when Jasper kind of slides down into this like really deep and dark depression after Maya dies. After Maya yeah. dies for sure, and that and it gets worse and worse over time. Uh, and then in season four, well, we'll, we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. <laughs> um, so yeah, season three is the main arc of season three is that there's this uh, computer virus. Basically, there's this artificial intelligence named Allie that <laughs> lives inside of these chips that can be put in someone's body, and then Allie controls the person. So it's sort of like it was an it actually L E because it ended up being L E. I yeah. never picked that up. <laughs> I don't think it's, I ever. I can't remember that. what the L E stand stood for, but it was like, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I don't oh, that's funny. I missed here. that. And there was two. There's like a good artificial intelligence and a bad one. Um, I don't remember if they had different names or not. But we come to learn that the the nuclear apocalypse was triggered by uh, a, your run-of-the-mill Skynet scenario. Yeah, that, where, that, that's where the Terminator part yeah, of it comes in. <laughs> like, this, the scientist invents an artificial intelligence, and it decides that the best way to protect humanity is to kill everyone. Um, so it does. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Jaha, at the, at the very end of season two, Jaha has been, like, searching for the City of Light uh, with... With Murphy. With Murphy. Murphy was like cast out of the hundred in season one. Cause he was a sadistic asshole. Um, and we're skipping over. I mean, this is so tough to kind of yeah. try to summarize this show. Oh my God. It is, um, well, a lot happens. Yeah. We'll, we'll get more of this Most when we come back. Bad. I definitely kind of want to go through like the main characters yeah. and talk about our reactions to those. Uh, so we'll, we'll pick up more of the story as we go along, I but this, this um, may end up being a very long podcast that you have to divide into tough. several episodes. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> that happens when we talk a lot. Uh-huh. Uh, so they're kind of like working against this artificial intelligence, but at the same time, there's all these politics going on with the grounders where, uh, Alexa wants sky crew to become the, the 13th clan. Is that right? 13 clans. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they have 12 clans of grounders, but basically in order to fight, their common enemy, Alexa and Clark, are kind of working together to try to make Sky Crew the 13th clan. 
Uh, and then we come to find out that this artificial intelligence, like the good version of it, has been living in the line of commanders. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so it's and there's all this like religion that's brought into it, and it's so interesting. It's all like so goddamn interesting. And then we discover I can't, I, and I think we discover this in season three, like towards the end of season three. <laughs> When Clark has her little weird sojourn in modern day Vancouver. Oh yeah, that's <laughs> during like, the dream sequence. Yeah, when she her, goes into the city. That's the yeah, city of light, the basically. The city of light, which Vancouver. is this artificial place that the when you have the artificial intelligence inside of you, you get to go live in this city. So it's kind of all in your mind, and people stop caring about their family, and like Monty has to kill yeah. his mom, and it's horrible. And it's totally Vancouver. I'm like, it's I've, totally I've Vancouver. Walked yeah, there. <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah. I wasn't wild about the Hollywood that. of the North. I'll be totally honest. Like the end of season three, I was by the end of season three, I was sick of this storyline. I was, yeah, I was a little lukewarm on the city of, of the whole artificial intelligence thing. It kind yeah. of felt like it was a little too BSG. I, uh, I agree. I like the idea of the flame. Um, the the flame is this like that was cool. This thing that's carried down generation to generation, where you kind of interface with this chip, and it gives you sort of the ability to be a better leader. They don't know it's a computer chip. They think right. it's like the spirit of the first commander when it is in actuality, like it, an, an artificial intelligence that uh, unlike the evil one, it kind of melds with the person. And it was, it was uh, the original person who came down with that chip. Yeah. Was uh, she actually was in the arc. She was the woman who invented the artificial intelligence, yes. the scientist. And she came down right. into like what we know as sort of like the, you know, the capital, the capital. of the grounders, yeah. which is incidentally very close to Washington, D.C. Because we right. find out in the first season, this is just like interesting trivia, but yeah. uh, we find out in the first season that that's how Lincoln got his name. Tone was DC. from the he, they lived in around the DC area and they found the monument the Lincoln Monument and right. it was named Lincoln and yeah totally and like his city <laughs> is called cool. Tone DC like his village yes because it's a Washington DC right sign and they only could see the T O N slash DC it's really cool how things from modern day have weaved their way into the like society and, and even religion of this of the grounder culture and I think that the the flame is the coolest example of that so yeah. I I agree I was a little put off by the artificial intelligence storyline, but what they did with it was mm-hmm. fascinating to me. You know, it was super interesting. Yeah. The, the end game of it was kind of cool for sure. Totally. Yeah. Uh, so that's the general plot line of season three, skipping over like 90% yeah. of the details. <laughs> and then season four, the general arc is that uh, we discover at the very end of season three, that there's going to be another prime fire, which was the nuclear Armageddon. It's what the grounders call the nuclear Armageddon that destroyed the world. Uh, there's, so much radiation left on the planet. There's going to be sort of like this. It's uh, and I think a lot of it was like all the that the uh, it's that a bunch of nuclear plants. That's are right. Finally, are melting failing. down. They're melting yes. down. Yes, so yes, it's yes. like I there's going to be that. this. You know, the, the world is basically going to be. There's going to be another nuclear Armageddon again. because yeah. <laughs> of the nuclear power plants Which going unmanned for a hundred years. Prime fire. Prime fire. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. So then it's like a race to try to find a way to survive. And I, just getting down to like the core of this show, it's just like when survival seems impossible, what are you going to do? And they keep coming up with these more and more insane ways to try to survive. Yeah. And they discover that there's, uh, like, through Jaha's visions, they discover there's this bunker. I, I was not into that. I like <laughs> Jaha, I'm just done with at this point. Oh, you know? dude. Um, I've, I've been done with him for a while. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's a character that, like, just like on Heroes, when they don't know what to do with the character, they change their alignment, and it happens over and over, and it's so frustrating. Like, Jaha's good, Jaha's bad, Jaha's good, he's bad, now he's just, like, boring to me, yeah. But anyway, so they find this bunker, and then uh, there's this question of whether or not they should take it for themselves, because it's it's in the capital city of the Grounders, it's underneath it, Uh, so they want to take it for themselves, but then some people want... the to share it equally with the grounders. Yeah. And then there's this like fight to the death for all of the, t- the 13 clans That's of grounders. Right. Like, e- each of the 13 clans sends in one fighter mm-hmm. and, uh, and Octavia, Octavia ends up ours, being the yeah. fighter for, for the, sky the for sky crew. Who I still identify. I still think of, if I were in the show, I'd be sky crew. You I know? still think, yeah, I, I definitely think she's, sh- well, yeah. Cause that's where she came from, but right. I think her, I feel like her allegiance at this point is a little bit more up for grabs. Yeah, she's, she's kind of her own more person. Tree crew at this point. Totally. And then when she wins the the challenge, she commands that she becomes the commander of all of the grounders, including the Sky Crew. Yes, because what's command- his face gets killed off. The uh, King Roan, dude, yeah, yes. who I loved. King Roan loved him too. He, his face is like a caricature of King <laughs> Arthur. You know, it's like a caricature of a knight from an old movie. He's he, a, he was a super interesting character too. I loved like, him. I really enjoyed the performance. The everything about that character I loved, and yeah, season four had so many great characters in the grounders where you have this like evil uh, ice nation queen who is like enslaving John Murphy. Who's <laughs> well, <laughs> John Murphy, who's at this point fallen in love with uh, what's her name. I can't remember her name, but she's also a grounder. I, I loved that character yeah. too. Uh, I got, he I found her that. at like, what was the first city of life? You know what they thought was yeah. the city of life or right before that. I think yeah. she was like a scavenger and right. she, Fucked him over, but they ended up kind of simpatico eventually. Yeah, like John, <laughs> throughout season one, is like his. He just doesn't give a shit about people, um, but he cares so much about himself, you mm-hmm. know. And it takes him a while to sort of care about anyone else. But I feel like falling in love with this girl is what really does it. Where he starts yeah. to make selfless decisions later on. He reminds me kind of of Jamie Lannister. Where, hmm. like, Jamie's just all out for himself. He doesn't give a shit about anyone. He just, like, doesn't care until he loses his hand and, like, has to go through some hard shit. And then he... I'm not can't... familiar with Jamie Lannister. Oh, from, I'm sorry. I'm just talking it... at you. From Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, John is kind of like that where he becomes more sympathetic over time. But I, I really, I really hated him in season one. And now mm-hmm. he might be my favorite character. <laughs> uh, I just enjoy how he seems uniquely fit to survive in this world. Because uh, because of the of what he does and doesn't care about, but by the end of season four, like he's kind of the best guy there, you know. Like he really cares. It like it takes him a long time to let people in, but when he does, he just like holds onto them really tightly, mm-hmm. and he's very loyal. But it takes him like years to get to that point because he wasn't, you know. Like Clark is the type of person that says we need to be loyal to each other because we need numbers to survive. Right. Whereas John is like, I will be loyal to you because you prove to me that that I should be. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Which is, you know, I mean, if you think of the way this world is, it's actually a pretty pragmatic way to go about, yeah. you know, despite the fact that he, you know, he's always been kind of a snake. Right. It's just like his modus operandi kind of makes sense in that totally. world. You know? Yeah. Like he is not going to fight a battle that is the right thing to do 
if it doesn't personally benefit him because yeah. he is very selfish. But he will move heaven and earth to save someone he loves. Yeah. Which is so interesting. It's really, it's a cool juxtaposition. It's a very unusual juxtaposition in the character mm-hmm. that I'm really enjoying. As And, and, and you really and I, can't predict what he's going to do because of and it. And I think he was as surprised by that as I anybody. agree. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I don't think he expected to give a shit about anyone else. Totally. And that's, that's sort of the redemption of the character in my eyes anyway. I agree. That, like, okay. I agree. And yeah, he's despicable in season one. Uh, he's part. He's the reason that Raven is uh, crippled, who we haven't even talked about yet. Raven, another Raven. one of my favorite characters. Oh she's fantastic. Um, so, but basically, so in season four, the the general run of it is that Prime Fi is coming, and they're exploring multiple options to try to survive it. Uh, and at the very end, it looks like a, it looks like you know half of our main people aren't going to get back to the bunker in time. So they're going to die. But then they have this crazy idea to go back to the Ark because there's only like six of them or something. Yeah. And that maybe they, if they could get themselves into space, they could survive on the Ark. Uh, and then there's like this jump forward at the very end of the episode. Cause we think Ugh. Clark has maybe died. Right. Uh, Cause she got stuck outside on the planet. But Clark also is a night blood, which is, this whole right, other thing that maybe we'll right, get into. Right. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so she actually seems and, to survive. And she was outside because she was trying to make sure that 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 the people who were headed back for the ark would make it. Would, yeah, I think she had to open manually open the door. Like she had to climb on some huge antenna and yeah. manually open the door for them. And oh, she had to she had to turn on the she had to manually send a signal to the ark to tell it to open the door. I think, yeah, I think you're exactly right. To open right. the door or to and turn then on to, to get power or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and something then once like that. they were up there, like they almost didn't, you know, weren't able to turn on the oxygen again. Like right. it, that last episode was a freaking nail biter. It was awesome. Oh my God. <laughs> it was great. I really liked it. And then you have a couple of grounders going to space, including that girl who betrayed Bellamy so many times, whose name I right. also was don't it, remember. She, she was, she a, was a, a, a ice. Yeah. yeah. She's ice. Nat- wasn't she like, she was like the sister of, uh, of King, King Rome, was she? I, I don't know remember. if she was the sister, but she was very loyal to him. Right. I remember that she was in a cage at the end of season two in Mount Weather. Yes. And Bellamy saved her, and that's how we meet her. And she was like a background character that kind of rose to the forefront. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things in a mm-hmm. show, like like Elam Garrick, uh, Miles O'Brien. You know, when you have characters in the background of a show and they just yeah. kind of rise up and become main characters, uh, or like like supporting characters who become crucial to the action or maybe mm-hmm. even get upgraded um, uh, like Jerry on <laughs> Parks and Rec. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one of my favorite things. And that's happened a couple of times on this show, which is really exciting. Uh, so season four, the end of it, a prison ship lands on Earth that Clark sees and Clark has found another Nightblood who also survived Prime Fire. We don't know if anyone who was under the ground survived. We don't know if anyone who's in space survived, although we can assume that They're not going to kill off Bellamy yet. I mean, they they won't kill Bellamy off unless it's like a big death scene. I've been saying from day one that the minute they kill Monty is the minute I'm out. <laughs> uh, oh, Wait. So it was, and it was, it was Monty. On, I'm trying to remember yeah, who, up who in the went ship. back up Monty, to the Monty, John, uh, Bellamy, John's, John's girlfriend. girlfriend. I wish I could remember her name. And then, and then Ice Nation, Ice girl. Nation girl, Raven, and Raven. That's right. So six. It was six it of six? them. Yeah, I think so. And and Clark would have been with them. Right. But right. She ended up by yeah. herself, and then and, and Jasper at this point is dead because he killed himself. And yes. it was oh uh, Monty's girlfriend also. 
who was gonna kill yes, herself but right. didn't. Yeah. That that whole arc was insane. So there's this Poor Monty. Ar- arc in season four <laughs> where because Prime Fi is coming and be, like there's a couple of of strands of hope, but not that much to hold on to. A bunch of the hundred from season one uh, decide to kind of join uh, Jasper's party cult, where they just kind of get high and drink and dance and stop caring uh, as the radiation is coming, and then they all just die. You know, yeah. <laughs> did, well. I'm thinking I think they, they killed took themselves. something. Yeah, they, yeah they no, yeah. There was a ri- they did a, like a ritual suicide. Yeah, a group suicide. And Monty finds them all. Yeah, and Monty's girlfriend almost went with them, but changed her mind. Whose name I can't remember either. I'm just yeah. <laughs> not because they're not very memorable characters with good names, but because I have a bad memory. And there are so many of them too. Yeah, and these characters kind of became bigger deals later on in the show, and I just haven't had as many episodes to have their names pounded into my head. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that whole arc with Jasper like the last scene where he says goodbye to Monty and it's Ugh. like this beautiful scene, but Monty is so or Jasper is looking so sick and just like so done with being alive. It was so interesting to see the world just break a whole bunch of people because yeah. it's something that I, I think as, as much as I hated it and I hated watching it, I think it was the right thing to do. I think that it really nailed home like the brutality of yeah. everything these people have been experiencing since they got to the ground. Well, and if you think about like, I mean, Jasper was done the minute Maya died, really. Absolutely. Because yeah. like, if you think about like the character that he was in season one, like after he survived his, you know, arrow through or thing through the heart. Yeah. Uh, he was like, I felt like he was one of the hundred who was like the most happy to be on the ground and out and about. And he was with his buddy and right. he was just like kind of one of the more dynamic, creative, outside the box thinking, problem solving. He, he's kind someone of who led with his heart. And he, yes. he reminded me of what, how I would have tried to have been in that situation, even though yeah. I found him slightly obnoxious, but I find myself very obnoxious. <laughs> so I think that was fitting, but he, I identified with him, even though he wasn't my favorite character by any stretch yeah. of the imagination and seeing that, that spark go out in him was that very was, hard. Yeah. Good, good job to the, to the actor. Oh my God. He was great. Like, oh, he was he, so he, he was so like full of life in yeah. season one and season two. And it just like, he basically was walking dead after Maya died, essentially. Absolutely. Like, he just could not find a way to turn it around. Totally. Yeah, and, like, I, I <sighs> he, he really came to me to sort of represent the emotional toll that the, rep- that the situation had been taking on everyone. Yeah. And, and it was so interesting to see these, like, the, the people who are surviving are the ones who are, are just, like, able to detach, you know? Yeah. Like, Bellamy's very good. Clark is very good at detaching from what they have to do to get it done. And Jasper can't seem to do that. The one person who has made it and still has kind of a fire for life, but I don't think is very detached, is Octavia. I agree with that. And I think that's because she embraced the culture on the ground. Um, yeah. Which, the culture on the ground is a culture of like of respectful survival. It's like, it's like, it's like native American culture almost where you, you have to like live in, in harmony with the environment. And it's maybe this is some sort of intentional parallel in the show of like these advanced people coming in and sort of assuming that the respectful culture on the ground is, you know, animalistic and and primitive and and that they have the right to just destroy it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was definitely some like colonial, like imperialism, like shades of that in the sky crew uh, against the grounders 
And I totally forgot what point I was trying to make because I was thinking about how that's oh, an interesting just, uh, thing. Octavia being <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, she's not detached, but she's yeah. I, I think she was just so angry after right. Lincoln was killed. I think like that fueled her for a while. Totally. She's now one of the most interesting characters. I was I liked I've always liked Octavia, but I mm-hmm. I was always like yeah, her story's kind of cool. But by the end of season four, I'm like she is my commander and i will she, follow yeah, her is, anywhere and you know i was really into it i think she she right now is more interesting than clark yeah i me. agree clark stopped being interesting to me in season four because clark is so pained by every decision she has to make and she's so predictably you know ruthless with her decisions like you mm-hmm. know what she's well you but, know what she's, she's gonna end up doing exactly she surprises you with the details of it like yeah but you know that she's going to do something fucking extreme that's going to, like, kill a lot of people to save her people. And make a lot of people angry. Totally. Including some of her people. And, and by season three, I started to feel like she was doing it on purpose, you know? Yeah. But season four, she became less a center of the action. That's true. And, like, the the heart of the show really has kind of moved to Octavia and I Monty think so. at this point. Season four, for sure, it shifted to me to Octavia as far as, like... The person who's lead, not not just leading her people, but kind of leading my interest in what's happening. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt like it was good that Clark had died, but then she wasn't dead. Like I, they really <laughs> made it look like she was dead, but of course her nightblood saved her. Right. So I yeah I was very conflicted on, but I was I, but I was still interested in in her and that other nightblood she found. Like what's going to happen I, when that yeah, prison I totally ship lands? Like it was it was a super great into it. Flash forward. So yeah, I, I, that makes me you know not so much a cliffhanger in that like oh my god who's gonna die but a cliffhanger in that like oh my god i am really curious what's gonna happen next yeah because they they didn't necessarily leave us they didn't leave us hanging with what was gonna what with what happened with prime fire because it looked like you know the people who went to the ark made it to the ark the people who were underground were all safe underground the only person we were wondering about was clark but then we saw clark clark in the fast forward right so the cliffhanger really is like a like did the people from the ark survive how are they six years later i think i thought it was four or five yeah i think they they had enough oxygen to survive for five years and i feel like Clark hadn't heard heard from them in over well, and, that. And, and it was also like when the earth might be habitable again was five years. That was part of it oh, too. Oh, you, I might be misremembering. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, like they, they had just enough oxygen to stay on the ark long enough to for earth to be survivable and then come back. But I think it had, it had been I th- longer I think they, than they that. They had also, like they figured out... Or maybe I'm thinking of the the people in the bunker had enough oxygen. You're thinking of the people in the bunker. The people in the ark, I think, had to figure they may have had to figure out like, okay, what are we, you know, since the oxygen is failing, yes, there's only six of us, but, um, they, they brought an oxygen yeah, there, reclamator there up with something them. something that, that Raven figured out. Yeah. I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they had a plan for getting back yet, but Raven will solve that. She's well, a fucking she totally genius. Will. Yeah. Uh, I love that this woman, that this world is run by brilliant women. I think that that's so cool. And, I I really like that it kind of a, a core message of the show is that the sort of like toxic masculinity that Bellamy shows and that Pike shows like those things don't work and mm-hmm. well th- and even Bellamy not, has mostly realized that those, totally. those don't work like yeah. because after it's season not a good one, way to lead like leading out of fear is not a good way to lead leading out of like uh, ego is not a good way to lead 
but leading out of you know practical application of of facts and strategies is a better way to lead. And the the women on the show are the ones who do that. I think it's really fascinating. I really I really dig it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that's the general arc of the show so far. <laughs> so yeah, if that sounds good to you, let's wrap this one up. Uh, do you have right. anything you want to plug? Uh. As far as the 100? Or? Oh, as far as like your website or your, your oh, Twitter? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I have my, <laughs> I have my post-apocalyptic blog, yeah. you, me, and the post-apocalypse. How's that going? Uh, I mean, you know, I'm still writing. I try to write a, uh, a post once a week. Um, yeah. it's, it actually has been kind of interesting starting this blog this year. Uh, with the changes that have been going on in the U.S. Uh, yeah. administration and policies and blotty blots, it's very interesting to have a post-apocalyptic blog. Um, and like, I'm still, I'm still working my way through like what I call the subcategories of the post-apocalypse. So I'm going through, you know, mm, it's like cool. the, there's nuclear apocalypse, there's plague apocalypse, uh, zombie apocalypse, of course, which we all love. Um, let's see what, well, climate change apocalypse, <laughs> which is probably imminent in real life and feels not as cathartic to talk about, but yeah, I feel pressed to much of the time. And so, like gosh, there's alien, alien invasion apocalypse. There's like I've I've boiled down dystopia to social apocalypse. Oh, cool! <laughs> just because I wanted to include it. Yeah, I gotta um, catch up. I think I've read like half. No, I have no idea how many I've read. I've, I read several, and then I, I haven't finished. But I but it's great. So like, what I've read is great. I love that you're doing it. I think it's super cool. I know it's like my three followers. <laughs> and then so your website is it? You mean the postapocalypse.wordpress.com? Yes. Sweet. And then on Twitter, you're at Carol Wilcox. Carol Wilcox, yeah. C-A-R-O Wilcox. W-I-L-C-O-X, yes. Yeah, awesome. Well, Carolyn Wilcox, thank you so much for coming on the show. Next week, Douglas Gale is coming back to talk about season two of Babylon 5. We recorded that a couple days ago. It was awesome. Something about talking about Babylon 5 with Doug is just really hitting the spot for me as far as my my podcasting bug is concerned. So be sure to come back next week for another fantastic episode. You can check out the rest of my sci-fi synth-pop music and podcast library at my website, jessemercury.com. If you want to chat with me about this week's episode or anything else that you've heard on the show, you can tweet at me at sci-fi project or send me an email at sci-fi at jessemercury.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, stay nerdy out there. Thank you.